This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast number 208. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. Well, this week on the show, we're going to talk to Mel Spence from Black Bottle Scotch. I met him through my friend Hal Wallen, who I know from the USBG. If you're new to the show, the USBG is the United States Bartenders Guild, and there's chapters through the U.S. It's a great organization to join, and if you're outside the if you're outside the U.S., you can look into the IBA, International Bartenders Association. In uh, upcoming weeks, we're going to talk to James Midnight, who is vice president of our chapter, the New York City chapter, and we're going to talk about all the great reasons you should join and all the opportunities that you get when you join the USBG. You don't necessarily need to be a working bartender. We welcome all kinds, enthusiasts, people that work on the brand side, distillers, and most especially, barbacks. Hey, let's do a cocktail of the week. It's the 1886's Mammy Taylor Cocktail. The 1886 refers to a place in Pasadena, California, the Raymond 1886. It's a bar and restaurant. And I'll read you the story of the Raymond 1886 from their website because it's a fun story. Quote, in 1886, Walter Raymond, a Boston native, came to Pasadena and built the Raymond Hotel, a fabulous sunny destination for Easterners looking to escape harsh winter weather. On Easter Sunday in 1895, sparks from a chimney ignited the roof and the entire hotel burned to the ground in only 40 minutes. Guests were directed to safety in the nearby cottage, and it's said that bartenders from the hotel's secret pool room were serving guests after the tragedy. Undaunted, Mr. Raymond built an even grander hotel with 300 rooms, along with a charming caretaker's cottage. In the early years, Walter and his wife often stayed in the cottage when it wasn't occupied by special guests. Gracious hosts, the Raymonds entertained celebrities such as Charlie Chaplin, Tom Mix, and Buster Keaton, who visited and filmed in Pasadena in the Roaring Twenties, 1920s. Sadly, in 1931, the Raymond Hotel was toppled by the Great Depression and the party was over. The hotel was raised to make room for residential development, and Walter and his wife moved into the cottage where they lived until 1934. The caretaker's cottage is now the Raymond 1886, and the timeless charm and spirit of this lovely space can be enjoyed by all. End quote. Cool story, huh? So apparently the famous at the time opera singer Mammy Taylor was at the Raymond Hotel years ago and the bartender invented this drink specifically for her. It's basically a scotch buck. So it's uh, two ounces of blended scotch whiskey. We use our black bottle scotch. Half an ounce of lime juice, dash of Angostura aromatic bitters, and topped with ginger beer. And uh, the garnish is a candied ginger piece of candy ginger you could you could build that in the glass directly or uh, I think it's better to put the whiskey lime juice and bitters in a shaker give it a quick shake and add the ginger beer to the shaker and strain that all into a glass filled with fresh ice that way everything gets good and combined next book of the week it's the curious bartender in Odyssey of malt bourbon and rye whiskeys by Tristan Stevenson Tristan's books are so well-researched and really well laid out. There's just so much valuable information in these books. He talks about the different classifications of whiskey, the processes, the regions, uh, specific brand recommendations, and, and of course, cocktail recipes. The Curious Bartender is a series of books by Tristan Stevenson, and he has a new one about gin, which we will talk about on an upcoming episode and maybe even get him back on the show. He was on episode number 122, Bartender Journey, but hopefully we'll get him back on uh, to talk specifically about gin we're gonna have a an episode coming up uh dedicated to gin so check out this book the curious bartender in odyssey of malt bourbon and rye whiskeys by tristan stevenson and we'll have a link up to that on bartenderjourney.net along with the show notes that go along with this show number 208 
hey, it's time to pay the podcast hosting people again, the hosting for the podcast files and separately the website hosting and a variety of other expenses are incurred producing this show. I want to remind you there's a tip cup page on bartenderjourney.net. If you'd like to keep this show going, please consider leaving a tip. Find it at bartenderjourney.net slash tip cup. You can use PayPal on that page to give a one-time tip or set up a couple of bucks per month kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. Thanks. And if you're on the brand side, we're pursuing new sponsorship deals. So please get in touch on the contact page of the website, or you can email me personally at brian at bartenderjourney.net. Next, the occasional segment on this show that I call Things I've Picked Up Along the Way. I attend a lot of events and seminars and I take notes in a journal constantly, so occasionally I'll pick up one of my journals and read you some stuff I scribbled down. This was from a seminar at San Antonio Cocktail Conference about menu design and was taught by Megan Dorman and Justin Cochran. This is on my mind because I'm uh, just about to release our new uh, spring cocktail menu, so I've been uh, putting a lot of effort into that and uh, I should have read through this book first because it's got so many cool ideas through this journal. I mean, so many good ideas came up for for menu design in this seminar. Uh, A flavor map as used in pouring ribbons in New York. Uh, A menu not based on a season but on a theme like uh, Route 66 or Moody Authors or uh, Monsters or Cartoons or something like that. Um, And, uh, you know, as I'm saying this, I feel like I've talked about this on the show before, but that's okay. We'll keep going. <laughs> uh, the oh, there's uh, one place that did a viewfinder menu. You know, one of those old-fashioned uh, viewfinders, and put their menu in there. I think that's crazy fun. <laughs> uh, it's sensory and tactile, and uh, yeah, it's different for sure. Uh, something that came up, uh, which was a great point. You don't want your menu to make anyone feel dumb. Good idea. Put stuff on there that uh, that's relatable and understandable, and uh, that's something that I put a lot of effort into on my menus. When pres- when making a menu, uh, ask yourself: Will the press be interested in this? And so you get some free publicity for your place uh, if the press is interested. Recognize that the menus will disappear if they're cool. So uh, don't spend too much money on these things; they will walk out the door. Uh, The menu might look good on a computer, but when you print it out, can you read what it says in low lights? Are they functional? That's a great question. Think of a color wheel when making a menu or maybe a tasting wheel. Some people do a passport type menu with different, uh, you know, different countries and set a, set a deadline for your menu. You could probably work on it forever, but choose a date, choose a date and finish it by then. That's great advice because, uh, yeah, this has been going on for weeks with my menu. <laughs> All right, let's get into our talk with Mal Spence from Black Bottle Scotch. So that's it. Yeah. All right. We're here with Mal, Mal Spence at Sons and Daughters. Hi, how you doing? Great, man. Yeah. Hey, welcome to uh, welcome to the sea. Thank you very much. Um, been here for a few days. Arrived on Saturday afternoon. All right. So I had a few days just to see some friends that live here now. Uh, but I feel pretty settled now. I feel acclimatized. The weather's a lot better today, so that's helped. It's better. Know. It's freezing out. Yeah, but it's sunny. <laughs> it's blue skies. You know, right. we don't get a lot of that in Scotland. There, the, right. the skies are pretty pretty monotonous in Scotland. So, and you're based out of Glasgow, is it? Glasgow, yeah, yeah. So on the west coast. All right. So it's direct flight straight here. Nice. Um, seven hours. Nice. And you're doing some uh, events with um, Black Bottle Scotch. Um, indeed. It's been it's been quite a busy week actually. Um, yeah. Being a global ambassador, most of your business is done at night. Yeah. Um, which can get quite tiresome. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, we've been doing a lot of activity during the day and the early evening. So, you know, we've been doing some tastings. Um, we did a tasting at. Fine and rare All on right. Monday, yeah. and that was basically an overview of some of the vintage 
uh, expressions of Black Bottle that mm -hmm. Hal has managed to pick up. And it was just a really good opportunity to look at the changes of, I guess, blended scotch in general as a right. category, but the more specific changes that have happened to Black Bottle over a, a period of time. Yeah, you know? so it has, a, it has a long history, but it's been through, I guess, a lot of uh, incarnations, yeah? 138 years. Wow. <laughs> um, and it's been available for that entire time. Um, only recently, uh, globally. I mean, it's been quite a, a niche brand that was only really popular in Scotland. Mm. Someone said the other day that if you notice, you know, in port towns, like a town that has like a shipping and freighting right. and trade, um, you'll notice that a lot of like businesses will take advantage of that for export. Mm. But what happened with Black Bottle was pretty much the opposite. And uh, the, the creator of Black Bottle, Gordon Graham, used to be a tea blender. And he really took advantage of what was coming into the port at Aberdeen at the time. So through uh, the teas that were coming in through China, uh, Aberdeen was a big, big port in the, the tea industry in Scotland right. in the 1800s. Uh, and that really affected his profile. Uh, the, these smoky, rich, heavy, intense teas that were coming in from China um, really influenced the type of whiskey that he ended up blending. So, but he was originally a tea blender. He was a tea the, blender, the, yeah. The and gentleman who founded the company, uh, Graham, was it? Gordon Graham, right. yeah. And that's a transition that's not too unusual. Um, certainly, I guess we're probably the only Scotch whisky that talks about it extensively as we do about the tea blending heritage to Black Bottle. Hmm. But John Walker was a tea blender. Oh, all right. The Shivers Brothers were tea blending was part of their business. Hmm. Uh, Matthew Glog, who created the famous grouse up in mm -hmm. Perthshire. Okay. He also had tea, right. tea, uh, tea trade as well as part of his business. Natural really, transition, if you think about it. What you really see, the common thread between these individuals is the fact that they weren't whiskey distillers, they weren't whiskey makers, and right. I don't even think you could consider them whiskey experts or aficionados, but what they were were entrepreneurs. Mm. You know, they were really savvy business guys that saw an opportunity. And at that time in the 1840s, 1850s, there was almost like a storm of opportunity that really created the the landscape for Scotch whiskey to become popular because in those days, not many people were drinking single malt. Right. And that not, was quite unusual, really, right? Well, it was quite um, it was quite unrefined at that time, you know. Mm. Uh, a lot of the legislation didn't come into place. Like the Excise Act was in the late 1820s. The time that took effect was a wee bit later. So there was not as much legislation or as refinement around Scotch whiskey at that point. So it was quite fiery, quite challenging. Uh, I don't think you would have many people even in the central belt of Glasgow and Edinburgh drinking it. It was that challenging. But so, but, so the blending comes from the fact that um, was it a matter of supply? Well, like you said, the single malts weren't so great at the time on their own. But yeah. I guess if you find the right blend put them together and age them long enough, you can turn it into something great, right? Well, that took tea blenders to discover that. Yeah. One of the, the gentlemen that's created with creating the first ever blended whiskey between grains and malts was Andrew Usher, okay. who, again, wasn't a, a whiskey guy. He was a, a philanthropist, you know. He um, uh, had a lot of charities, a lot of work. He ended up opening up a North British distillers on the east coast of Edinburgh. Okay. Um, but... I mean, most people were drinking wine and brandy in the UK at those at those times. Right. But then phylloxera hit. Right. And then that changed the landscape again. For so, anybody who doesn't know, that was a blight that 
took that just destroyed the grape uh, the grapes in France, right? Yeah, it came from the states actually. Oh wow, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy! And, uh, and so the brandy supply just dropped dramatically, to, pra- yeah, practically vanished. overnight. Yeah. Um, so there was an opportunity there for another spirit, another liquid to fill that gap, right? Uh, and that's where a lot of these entrepreneurs, like John Walker, Gordon Graham, Chivas Brothers, took advantage of the skills that John Coffey. Uh, designing the the patent still, mm-hmm. which allowed for whiskey to be made from something other than malt. So you right. could make green whiskey, which was quicker, faster, a lot lighter, a bit sweeter. Less expensive to produce. Yeah, yeah. yeah. less time consuming. I mean, time yeah. is probably the most expensive right. time, commodity yeah. in, yeah. in whiskey manufacturing. Yeah. Um, but that blend made it a lot more approachable, right. a lot easier to drink. Um, slightly sweeter as well. And if you look at the blends of that era, you have like, um, before it was called Famous Grouse, it was Matthew Gloke's whiskey. Uh, John Walker's first whiskey that he bottled and sold was John Walker's Old High On whiskey, which is more in common, had more in common with Red Label than Black Label. Okay. Uh, and the Shivers Brothers first offering. Very similar in taste profile and character. Um, quite oily on the mouthfeel. Um, quite sweet. Right. And very light with, you know, not so much finish. If you try something like GMB Rare or maybe VAT 69 or even to an extent Cutty Suck, it gives you a real idea of those blends that made the breakthrough and how different they were from what a traditional scotch would have been at that time, which would have been smoky, intense, quite fiery. Right. And really challenging. I think only the, the crazy Highlanders were drinking it at that point, you know, yeah, yeah. before these changes come into place. It really emphasizes the importance of the scale of blending and how that impacted Scotch whiskey. Because these days, you know, a lot of people consider blending inferior products to a single malt. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame. Back then, it was the exact opposite. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, and I think it's just a, a question of economy now when people regard blends, because blends do tend to be a lot cheaper yeah. and a lot easier accessible than like a, a rare single malt, right, you know? Right. And the black bottle is, is quite accessible on the uh, on the price point. It's it is, yeah. Um, the version that you have here in the US is is really distinct. I mean, black bottle is quite distinct amongst Scotch in general, as well as just blends. But um, the expression you have in the US market is quite quite unusual, actually, because we don't uh, bottle at eighty six proof for what global markets. It's only bottled eighty six proof for the US. Okay, and by demand of legislation, South Africa. So it has to be bottled at... What is it, uh, in Scotland? 40%. Okay. Uh, and the rest of the Scandinavia, Europe, is 40% as well. Uh-huh. Um, so what you're really getting here is kind of like a director's cut of the whiskey. Um, okay. 43%, 86 proof, is what the blender in McMillan considered like an exp- a really good expression of a black bottle. Cool. So it's quite, quite a special dram that you're getting in All the right. US. Well, let's hear about your history. We uh, run bars and own, uh, yeah, uh, own was, bars, right? Yeah. In, in um, Scotland. I've been in the industry for about uh, 20 years now. All right. Um, I always add on a year every other day. You know? <laughs> so it's probably 18 or 19. But um, yeah, in Glasgow, most of my life, bartender uh, opened some pretty prominent bars in Scotland. Uh, moved through Edinburgh for a wee while. And then opened a really famous hotel bar in Glasgow as well. And then I uh, opened one bar. About three, four years ago. All right. 
and then made the transition to brand ambassador. What, 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 what was that like? You know, I mean, um, I think I think a lot of bartenders sort of see that as a national, a natural progression that they might want to take one day. So what? what I would teach an element of caution in it. You know, yeah. it's um, it's a very different role from what's painted in social media and how it's perceived as well to right. a certain extent. Um, essentially, what my role is is a stepping stone between the on-trade or the consumer and the marketing and corporate team. Mm -hmm. So you have to have two feet in both environments. Yeah. Now, as a person who's worked behind a bar for 18, 19 years, making that transition into the corporate environment is quite difficult. Yeah. Um, thankfully, I've got a lot of friends that, have, that do this role and have done this role really, really successfully. And... Um, probably a lot better than me yeah. uh, and they were on hand to kind of guide me through any kind of pitfalls and dangers and slips of the tongue and yeah but there's no a lot of time when you see these brand ambassador roles come up they're looking for people with some sales experience you yeah. know which i guess as a bartender maybe you have on a pretty micro level that's very true <laughs> but but you don't have this experience of you know all the technical terms that salespeople use and all of, you know, all, all of that background. It does come down to a lot of vocabulary and you know, people will kind of make slight of the lexicons and the jargon that's maybe used in like the market or corporate environment. But understanding that really, what it does is it enables you as a bartender with all the wealth and knowledge that you have, the consumers and you know, trends, it really allows you to be able to express that knowledge and that you know, that, that experience in a language that they understand. Because right. without that experience in the on-trade environment, being a bartender, it's very, very difficult to translate it and express it. So having that understanding is it's a really, really powerful tool. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the biggest developments I've had in my entire career is moving into this position. Um, I mean, it's developed me as a person as well as a, as, as a brand kind of guy. Right. Um, so no, it's been really fulfilling, really yeah. fulfilling. And then getting to see so much of the world as well. Well, I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, you've traveled all around the world. I, I really, what I'm really curious to hear is what, what you see in, in different countries as far as Scotch cocktails. What are you, what are you, what are you seeing? Trends and what, what's, what's new and exciting and things that maybe we haven't uh, seen or thought of? Uh, a lot of places are very traditional. Uh, Germany are very conservative when it comes to the consideration of whiskey in general and scotch. I mean, you have a lot of independent operators within Germany, but... As a general consensus, the consumer base in Germany are very, very conservative. Um, when you go to Scandinavia, they're a wee bit more adventurous. Mm. Um, in general, I guess. But that really reflects in the type of drinks that they make with scotch. Um, but New York has still been, for me, over the past three, four years I've been doing this role, a real kind of inspiring um, platform of creativity when it comes to scotch whiskey. Uh, some of the bars I've visited with Hal and the three days I've been here, it's been really inspiring to see how they use scotch in different ways that, that I wouldn't really have considered before. Right. Um, uh, Joaquin Simo at Pouring Ribbons, uh, he does these great black bottle cocktails with, that are tiki style. Yeah. And I would never ever have considered <laughs> um, putting a scotch into a tiki cocktail. Um, and maybe it doesn't work for all of them, but it certainly does work in the way he uses it with black bottle. Right. So I've been really, really impressed with that. And then there's um, Pam at Seamstress as well, who, after I got over... The, the waves of charm from her. Um, I got to see some of the drinks that she'd been making with, with Black Bowl. She, yep, she's an impressive lady. She's so sweet <laughs> and so 
so hospitable as well. That's right. Um, and a lot of these guys have made me feel really, really at home here. Yeah. You know? yeah. Sometimes uh, I wake up and I'm like, oh, I'll hear a, a siren or hear a car horn and then that'll remind me I'm in New York again because, yeah, I've become really, really settled the past few days. <laughs> <laughs> well, our, our community, you know, especially within the USPG here in, in New York is just an amazing group of people and, they're, you know... You're, well, you're, I met um, Frankie Marshall a few years ago. Yeah. Um, she came to my bar in Glasgow, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, I think it was just about the same time she was working at Dead Rabbit. Mm-hmm. So I'm quite good friends with Jack McGarry. All right. Dead Rabbit. And um, I'm pretty sure he alerted me to her presence in Glasgow at the time. Um, but she's a whirlwind, man. She's she's great fun. Amazing. Amazing. Was, you know, she made me immediately feel 100 times better about being me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Just one of these type of people that are really you know, warm and they really affection in a really positive way. Absolutely. And smart, that, smart lady, too. Yeah. Really, I feel that everywhere much. I go in New York, you know, it's, yeah. there's a real positivity about the city. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, I'm, it's quite a special city for me as well, proposed to my wife here. So, you know, there's always a big, big place in my heart for this city. Um, yeah, it's, I, I love New York. It's really good. And I'm, I still have another few days here. Great. We have the bartender's brunch today at Sons and Daughters. Yeah. So that gives Coming up in uh, half an hour or so. Yeah. <laughs> that gives an opportunity to get some nice cocktails, some nice food. And then great. chat to some more guys from the New York community. Yeah, great. Well, shall we taste? Yeah, let's. I, I'm afraid to, uh, I'm, I'm ashamed to announce that I've never tasted this before. The first thing you'll notice on the nose is that it's actually quite floral. Yeah. Um, the color is quite deceiving as well because with that really kind of dark, rich color, you would think it would be quite overpowering on the nose initially, but it's mm. actually quite light and quite mm-hmm. floral. Now, in the taste, there's a few things I want to point out. So initially, you're going to get a sweetness there that's very, very similar to bourbon. Um, it's like a really toasted vanilla it, kind it of oak. It's bourbon cask, yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're getting that oak straight away. And that's really, that's due to the fact that after we blend the malts and grains together, we put it through a double maturation period where we age it in a brand new virgin oak cask. That's uh, awesome. Charred. So it gives it that initial sweetness. And that's really done... I think that mellows it out as well, yeah, and it just gets the flavors. To gives blend. it a nice balance. Yeah, um, that's really done to replicate how a blend would have been finished and married back in the 1870s, and the similar techniques that Gordon Green would have and that, used. And it, that's not the case necessarily with a lot of blended. Scotch, no, it's yeah. not. A, it's not an inexpensive process. Sure, you know? especially um, brand new barrels every time. <laughs> exactly, brand new barrels. Um, well, we've got a relationship with a distiller and um, a cooperage in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and that process does get more expensive as time goes on. The second thing you're going to pick up in the palate is an element of spice there, but it's not like um, it's not like a like a kind of cinnamon spice, like a Are sweet you spice. All, all spice, or um... I get a, almost like an armagnac spice. It's like a dry spice. Mm-hmm. And then right at the end, it's not too overpowering, but it's very, very subtle as a smoke. Now, when you take scotch and the connotations of smoke that go along with that, you think of phenols, you think of peat, uh, you think of, kind of that kind of earthy, chemically kind of isla smoke. That's not what you get from this. It's a different type of smoke. It's more a smoke that's in common with like a mezcal. It's like a mezcal kind of smoke. It's really, really subtle. It's like a kind of like a hint of a barbecue right. rather than peat, you know? Right, So the, right. these are three wee notes that really stick out to me that make 
Black Bottle really, really, like, really different from not just like a blend of scotch, but right. scotch in general. It's it's really, really unique. It's yeah, it's got a, a lot of complex flavors. As you said, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of different flavors come through, uh, especially as it uh, sits in your mouth for a bit. I, I'm starting to get a little like cocoa powder chocolate uh, after a while, and even like a little orange peel. As a bartender, I'm, I have this reluctance to making hot drinks like hot toddies and mm. Irish coffees and stuff, you know, because of the preparation that's involved in it. And it's always someday at the end of the night when you're halfway through cleaning down a bar. So <laughs> hot drinks are always quite frustrating for me. But I did make a really, really nice hot drink because um, you had a particularly cold winter and. Um, it was for a Edinburgh Christmas market that they have there for a duration of time during the Christmas period. And uh, we did some uh, black bottle hot drinks with some hot apple, mm. some cream and stuff. And it was really, really nice. Worked really well. Sounds great. Can, you tell, us, can you tell us about the cocktails we're going to enjoy today? I think we're going to go quite simple today. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite ways of enjoying black bottle, just, you know, in a really simple way, is with tonic water. Mm. Now, it's not traditionally drank with whiskey. You normally see soda, but because of the flavor profile of Black Bottle, soda really dries it out, so it's not really that great, you know, a, a combination. But the tonic, the sweetness of the tonic works really, really well, and it's a really refreshing drink. So we're going to enjoy one of them today where a few dashes of bitters just to make it a wee bit more complex for the more complex palates that we have here. Sounds good. Uh, and then we have an old-fashioned and then one other drink as well. All right. All right. Awesome. Well, looking forward to it. That was a great conversation. Brian, thanks very much for having me. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Interesting guy, huh? Well, if you'd like to see some pictures from our bartender's brunch, including the menu of drinks that we had that day and uh, a few photos of Mal and uh, the event, get on over to bartenderjourney.net and look for the posting that goes on with this show, number 208, and we'll have those for you. Well, we'll get to our toast in just a minute. I just want to tell you about a couple things. I want to tell you about CORE, Children of Restaurant Employees. As I mentioned on the last episode, they've been helping me out a lot with some things going on in my own family. I won't get into the details, but the good people at CORE have been amazing, and I just want you to know about them in case you ever need them. CORE supports the children of food and beverage employees who are navigating life-altering circumstances or conditions. Find them at coregives.org. You can also reach them on a phone at 404 655 4690. You can also donate to the cause on their site or sign up to be a CORE ambassador. Do some good. I heard from one of the wonderful ladies at CORE that a listener to this show heard about CORE through Bartender Journey and signed up to be an ambassador the other day. That's so awesome. Thank you so much for whoever did that. That's so cool. Hey, don't forget Bar Institute is on tour this spring. It's an amazing uh, opportunity for you if you're uh, in sort of one of the mid-sized cities around uh, around uh, the U.S. They're traveling to a bunch of cities and hopefully one near you. It's only $5, which is donated to charity, and that's for a day of classes and a pop-up event in the evening where the cocktails are only $5. You can check out my website uh, for the dates bartenderjourney.net slash bi for bar institute and you can see where they'll be hopefully near you and i really encourage you to go see that especially uh if you've never been to an event like this if you've never been to tales of cocktail or bar institute or any uh cocktail festival like that highly highly recommend that you check that out Hey, I'll be on the panel at a seminar at Tales of the Cocktail for the first time this year. I'm excited. It's a seminar called Hot Mike, Podcasting for Bartenders. It will be moderated by Karen Newman, and on the panel along with me will be Souther Teague and Damon Bolte of the Speakeasy Show. Souther also happens to be the president of our USBG New York chapter. He was a guest on my show. It was episode number 152. 
Hey, you can find me on Instagram at Bartender Journey. Search Facebook for Bartender Journey and leave some stars and a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That uh, five star on iTunes anyway. Five stars is the most. Five star. Remember, just remember, five is the most. Hey, make sure you're subscribed so you get the show, the new shows, as soon as they become available. The next episode of the show, I'm calling Lawman Plans to Retire and Bartend Full-Time. He's a really interesting guy, a listener to the show named George Bressler, and he got in touch and we set up an interview, and I think you'll find it fascinating to listen to. George also wrote an amazing article, which we're going to do as a blog post to go along with the interview. The first sentence of the article, just so you get an idea what it's about, is, quote, Drinking establishments have had a long history of influencing communities, enacting change, and even influencing history, end quote. It's a great read and uh, really um, well-written. So, uh, wow, lots of information this week. I'm ready for a cocktail. Let's do our toast. May our faults be written on the seashore and every good action prove a wave to wash them out. Cheers. We'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast. Honest ingredients aged for flavor.